You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Director of Policy Communications. And with us this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan is the Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and NCBA Federal Lands. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Always great to be here, Ed. Well, we hope everybody had a good Labor Day weekend. Um, August is traditionally a pretty quiet month in D.C., especially on Capitol Hill. But uh, one thing that we know is that the, the bureaucracy does not take a break during the month of August, and there has been a lot going on uh, at the Department of Interior. Ethan, bring us up to speed on what's going on with Interior, especially they're doing a lot of reviews right now, and they've had an active month on the monuments issue. What's going on with that? Well, Ed, despite Secretary Zinke's time in the U.S. House of Representatives, he did not get the memo about a relaxed August Uh, He has hit the ground running at the Department of Interior, and after some of the uh, reviews that we talked about back in the spring, President Trump uh, signed an executive order instructing the secretary and his team to review the use of the Antiquities Act for national monuments, and the secretary undertook a review of sage-grouse plans. Uh, Those have started to to, uh, hit here in the, the month of August with some results coming out of the department on the Antiquities Act. Uh, The secretary and his team undertook a review of 26 national monuments, um, all created by previous presidents during the last 20 years and over the uh, size of 100,000 acres. That was kind of the criteria they started with. During the process, they have eliminated a few different monuments around the country from that review for one reason or another. And we're down to a point now where They've really drilled down to those different monuments where we know there's been a serious impact to local communities because of that lack of local input into the process and that lack of regard by previous presidents for the economic impact to rural communities. That report was delivered to President Trump uh, here this month in August and is now being reviewed by the White House. As we know, the Antiquities Act has very few Uh, requirements for how the president must use it. Therefore, he's granted broad latitude to do uh, sort of whatever he feels like doing with it, which is one of the reasons we have a problem with the Antiquities Act the way it's currently written. What we anticipate from this review is that Secretary Zinke will have recommended to the president that some of these big, really egregious monuments like Bears Ears in Utah, like Cascade Siskiyou, which we know put five permittees uh, uh, on the brink of uh, uh, extinction there in, in Oregon, like the Escalante Grand Staircase designation from President Clinton eras, Clinton's era, excuse me. Um, we, we expect that the secretary will have recommended to the president that those monuments be reduced in size and that they take a hard look at just how uses that are traditionally uh, appropriate in their light grazing will be respected moving forward to make sure we don't see the kind of massive drop in grazing that we've seen in places like Escalante. So what is the time frame on this? Do we have any idea when uh, the president will make a final decision on uh, Secretary Zinke's recommendations? Well, there is no requirement for, for a timeline for a decision. The president had a deadline in his executive order. Uh, the secretary met that deadline by submitting a report to the president in a timely manner. That's a, that's a substantive report. The secretary did, uh, did solid work and, and put together a real uh, set of recommendations on, on changes that the president could make uh, to these monuments that, uh, that would stand the test of a court challenge uh, that we know might come from some of these radical environmental groups that are just 
absolutely opposed to any changes to these things. Um, I, I can't understate enough the the level of hysterics we've seen from from that part of the world on these uh, on these proposed changes, despite the fact that everything we've seen and heard is that these recommendations are incredibly reasonable. We're not talking about a, a large scale reorientation of land management in the West. What we're talking about is righting some really egregious wrongs. Okay, now there's also been some news on the sage grouse issue. Can you bring us up to speed on what Interior has been doing on that? Absolutely. So Interior also, as I mentioned earlier, embarked on a review of those sage grouse resource management plans from 2015. In this case, the secretary ordered a review top to bottom of the of the way these plans have, have gone into effect. Uh, he, he brought the state directors from across the West into that process to make sure that the local cattlemen's groups in those states were working directly with their state BLM directors to determine how those impacts were playing out at the local level. Again, that's a theme we keep coming back to because that's what's been missing from so much of this in the past. Uh, that review was published a few weeks ago. We've uh, we've gone through it with a fine-tooth comb. Our sage-grouse leadership in the industry has been uh, reviewing that and looking for our path forward. We've seen a lot of our own guidance uh, come out in that review, so we were happy to see that they're they're listening to cattle producers and they're they're listening to our uh, our concerns with those plans. Uh, the Public Lands Council was the only national organization that was mentioned in that document as uh, as a group that Interior needs to make sure they incorporate and work with moving forward. That speaks volumes about the 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 work that our state affiliates and and uh, and and the national level has done on this issue. Um, that Interior understands how important we are to this process. The conversation now comes down to how do you fix the resource management plans so they don't inappropriately target grazing. Grazing is not a listed threat to the sage grouse. It's not even in the top 10. And the problem is despite that, we've been targeted by the, the implementation of these RMPs because we're so easy to target. Because you have 22,000 permittees spread out across the West, a lot of whom have to go back to the BLM and the Forest Service to get permit renewals. And when they do, this issue keeps coming up. So we're working with Interior and building on this review. And the review wasn't really a, an end of a conversation. It was the beginning. What it was was uh, 13 pages and uh, uh, another another 35 of, of supporting documentation from Interior basically saying, hey, we get it. We hear that there are problems. Here's our take on what those problems are. And now the ball is back in our court as an industry, along with some of the other impacted industries, to tell them, yes, we think you're on the right track, or no, you missed it here. And here's where we think you need to go from here to, to get this thing done. So that's the process we're in now. Okay, and finally, I know there's been some news on wild horses. Can you bring us up to speed on what's going on there? Absolutely. So we uh, just returned from a wild horse and burrow summit in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago. That sounds like a lot of fun. That was uh, three riveting days talking about <laughs> wild horses. If you've never spent three full days talking about wild horses, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Um, but it really was a great opportunity to talk to some of the, the real experts in this field. Uh, this is a problem that continues to get exponentially worse every year. We're talking about a 20% explosion in population each year, doubling the population every four to five. And we've worked really hard with Congress to try to create some management authority for BLM to get around that rider that's been in place since 2010 that prevents sale without restriction. 
because we know there aren't any functioning slaughter facilities in the U.S. because of that ban on horse slaughter inspection, that that carries over into the wild horse debate because there's a ban on commercial processing of, of wild horses, which really prevents the BLM from doing anything about this exploding population. We've managed to get a little bit of room built into uh, uh, some appropriations bills that, that, uh, uh, that allows the uh, Department of Interior uh, to euthanize older horses and, and uh, take a little bit of action to manage. Um, we're continuing to work on that. And you know what we're seeing now is I think a Department of Interior that's much more interested in trying to, to, to get a handle on this problem so that we can have a healthy population of horses that's not impacting the rangelands and isn't dying from starvation out there on the range because that's what we're seeing now. And as an industry that cares for animals professionally, there's nobody that I think is more upset by watching these horses die because of mismanagement than cattle producers and sheep producers in the West. So we're, we're at the forefront of that conversation because it's so important to us as professional animal caretakers. And we'll continue to take a leading role in, in helping the Department of Interior figure out how to manage these horses properly. Absolutely. That's an issue that is not really on the radar screen of a lot of people in the East, but it's a big issue for folks out West, especially ranchers. Well, and that's the thing. It, it is on people's radar, but in a, in a way that's not helpful. They get little snippets of the conversation. They hear a lot from people like the Humane Society of the United States and PETA and groups that we know in the in the livestock industry are not honest brokers. Um, they get misinformation. They're told that it's a cattle versus horses situation, which just couldn't be further from the truth. The science is settled on this issue. And, you know, coming from a three-day symposium where I got to see a lot of the, the leading experts in the field talk about this, we know there is a tremendous difference between the benefit that cattle and livestock grazing provides to these rangelands and the impact experienced by horse uh, horse grazing. And, and the reason for that is uh, there, there are several. The hooves are different. The way they tear grass is different. There is just a difference. In, it's not the same thing. So, uh, you know, getting that information out to eastern states to southern states, to parts of the country that don't have to deal with the impacts of this, but have an emotional connection, obviously, to these animals like we all do, is critically important to changing public opinion and helping people to understand exactly why this hard work is, is necessary. Absolutely. Ethan Lane, thank you for joining us. We are recording this on your birthday, and by the time it airs, you may be a new first-time dad. So happy birthday and congratulations. Thanks very much. I'm looking forward to it, and I appreciate it. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef and follow us online at beefusa.org or on Twitter at, at @beltwaybeef. Thanks for listening.